Listener Production. Spread your jams and drizzle your syrups. Why is it so sticky? It's Matt and Alex all day breakfast. Well, Matt O'Kine, I'll say it before, I'll say, I'll say it again. Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, needs to be listening to All Day Breakfast. He can't miss an episode because he's obviously missed um, this week. I warned him. Rob Millsy Mills was first in the Parisian restaurants getting the very curt words from the restaurateur. This is just my restaurant. And now Emmanuel Macron dropping the mic right on Scotty's head. When asked by... A journalist, oh, do you think the Prime Minister of Australia, Scott Morrison, lied to you? He said, I do not think. I know. And wow. So, just seriously, call chill. RuPaul because he got dragged <laughs> in a big way there and then. Oh, goodness gracious. I kind of thought, oh, yeah, whatever. It's not going to be as scathing as I think it will be. And then I saw the video and I was like, no, the guy's angry. <laughs> that guy... Is uh, not happy. Anyway, just not another not example happy. as to why um, you should be tuning into All Day Breakfast every day. Another big reason today is because we've got a very big guest, Matt O'Kine. Clementine Ford is going to be joining us here on the podcast with Matt and Alex. Yeah, that's right. Clementine's latest book, How We Love, is out today. Clementine, a very vocal person on the uh, internet, in our media, never afraid to say exactly how she feels. But how does she go talking to the... Uh, the fish and chippery of Matt O'Kine putting him on the grill. Who knows? We'll find out with Clementine later on today. It should be fun times. Hope you can hang out here with Matt and Alex on All Day Breakfast. Everyone ready? Let's get this show on the road. Let's go. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Matt and Alex, All Day Breakfast. Oi, Daiso, is your dad worth $400 million? <sighs> well, to me, yes. <laughs> Um, <laughs> even more than that to me, Matt O'Kine. But look, if... To the tax man, if, not necessarily. If the tax man took a look over the old uh, Ian Dyson's books, he wouldn't probably not see um, the offsets of $400 million. No. <laughs> no, no. Well, look, I was reading an article, did you see Shaq? has uh, sort of come out in the media recently. Shaq, ex-NBA player, basketball expert. Shaquille O'Neal, yep. That's right, uh, star of Shaq-Fu. Anyways, old mate's come out. He's worth $400 million, but he reckons he doesn't give any money to his kids. Not a cent. No handout. He says, my kids are older now and they're kind of upset with me. Well, not really upset, but they don't understand. I tell them all the time, we ain't rich, I'm rich. Right, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> not rich. Shaquille O'Neal is rich. His children, not yeah, so much. It's quite interesting. I've, I've watched before, I'm sure the algorithm threw it up with all the basketball highlights that seem to make its way through my, um, my viewing time, but Shaquille O'Neal talking about the accountant he met, and Shaquille O'Neal's seven foot three or something like that, and he met an accountant in his first year of the NBA who's like, you've got to save this money because... You, sure, you're rich, you're getting paid, but you're not wealthy and your aim is to become wealthy. <laughs> How do you become wealthy? Well, let me show you, sir. They made up this really great friendship, this older Jewish uh, accountant and then, you know, seven foot three Shaquille O'Neal was just on the warpath. And there it is, $400 million, $400 million worth. Million now later, hey? And now he reckons um, he's got standards, right, and that, that his kids must uphold if they want to have even a slice of that $400 million, okay? So here are the rules. He says... You got to have a bachelor's or master's degree, all right? 
This is what he says to his kids. You've got to have a bachelor's or master's degree. Then if you want me to invest in one of your companies, you're going to have to present it. Boom, boom, boom. Bring it to me. I'll let you know. I'm not giving you nothing. <laughs> right? That's pretty boss. Right? Yeah. I mean, That's massive. And it did raise like the idea of inheritance. You know, what do you do with inheritance? It's such a tricky thing. Like it's all sorts of family squabbles happen over it. Um, relationships are forged and lost man, through this I, thing. I that- remember a friend of mine um, was telling me a story about how they went to their grandparents' funeral. Mm. Um, we're talking about the funeral and like the immediate wake afterwards. And they walk in and it was an absolute blow up between everyone going, I can't believe you got left this. How dare you weren't there. I deserve that. Like it's insane. On the day. Yeah, on the day. The casket (laughs) lid had barely been shut. It's wild, right? Same. I heard about one that was a friend of mine's parents who were in a, um, (laughs) they kind of rock up to a lawyer's office. They're sitting in separate rooms and they've got mediators that walk between rooms to talk about what? how <laughs> things are being divvied up. $15,000 for an afternoon of that. <laughs> like you, it, but people are trying to get money, but by doing it, they're spending money. Well, it's a lot of walking between rooms, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly right. got to hire two rooms because they're not sitting in the same one. Anyway, <laughs> we asked you what uh, inheritance stories you've had. What have you gone through in the name of inheritance, given Shaq is, uh, yeah, big no-no for his kid's inheritance. And uh, Lindsay sent us a message saying, my nan tried to give me her pet cocky as an inheritance. I was fearful of how to look after Dudley, the cockatoo. Cockies live to like a hundred or something. Fortunately, the groundskeeper at, at her care home took Dudley on. She decided a man she met a year ago was a better option than her loose vegan grandkid. <laughs> that sounds like the script of a movie. You know, and to my granddaughter, I bestow <laughs> Dudley, my cockatoo. That they form a, you know, a really they form great a wild and wacky uh, relationship where Dudley always says things that gets her into trouble. <laughs> what would it be called? Dudley's day off or something. Um. <laughs> Maybe the death was foul play, and Dudley knows the murderer. Or something got to find, yes. solve the crime. Yeah, thought it was old age, but no, something dodgy's and going on. And it turns on. out it was the groundkeeper. And oh! took Dudley, right? I think we got to, all right, and Lindsay, like, we're going to give Dudley you will be like, the script. Ah, check the pills. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Matt and Alex's movie workshop. Um, <laughs> Dudley does Dunedin. Ah, check the pills, bro. Um, okay, <laughs> sorry. <That> was... <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, we got a new one. We've got the goat goat, the Jamaican goat, and now we've got Dudley, the New Zealand cocky. (laughs) Perfect. Add it to the repertoire. Phoebe says, I'm a historian and frequently read old wills in my research. Um, One of the wills I read was from the 1950s or 60s where a gentleman made it clear that his wife was to get absolutely nothing. It said, she's taken enough from me in my life and she will not take any more from me after death. Oh, my God. What, who Brutal. are these people? That is awful. Brutal. Dear, oh, dear. Anyway, next one, Matt. Kara says, hey, boys, my grandma gave me her organ piano as my inheritance, um, in brackets, while she was still alive. When she moved into wow. aged care, she didn't want to have to share it with the others living with her. So rather, I took it from them. Um, however, after a few years, my dad mentions to me that grandma had requested that I gave her back the organ. In the end, the aged care facility kept the organ as it was 
uh, stored in a communal area. And needless to say, when she did pass, there was nothing coming my way. It's not very often you get something in someone's will and then have to give it back to them. Yeah. <laughs> but to be <laughs> fair, really like, tough. where are you going to put an organ? Honestly, if I got an organ right now, I'd be like, oh, okay. I got an accordion from my auntie's father passed away. I got his old accordion. Although, to be fair- We used that at Triple J a few times, actually. Do you know what I was thinking? I was thinking of one of those organs that are at, like, the church. You oh, know, the like massive those- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With the big pipes this, uh, and stuff. five metre long pipe. <laughs> yep, we got the other 13 <laughs> at the back here. We'll bring them on in. Yeah, no, now that I've Googled them, a normal organ piano looks kind of fun. <laughs> Let's go with Liz, who's been waiting patiently <laughs> to have a chat to us. G'day, Liz. Hi. Sorry, we um, invented an entire movie in the time it took to um, say hello to you on the phone, yeah. so apologies for that. Very productive. <laughs> uh, Liz, well, what sort of inheritance stories have you been um, involved in? Well, um, it's my my parents, or my dad specifically. So before I was born, they were a young married couple and they just bought their house and my dad made friends with this old guy across the road. He didn't have any family, so it was a bit lonely. And my dad used to go over there and have a drink with him. And then um, one day, John told my dad, oh, "I'm going to leave everything to you." And my dad was like, "Well, no, you've got you've got cousins and stuff. You know, you can't do that." And he's like, "Oh no, I don't. You know, I don't speak to my cousins. Like, you, you come and see me. I want to leave it all to you." And dad's like, "No, no, you can't. You can't do that. Like, you've got to do it to your family. Whatever." Then, so then he, it wasn't long, I don't think, and he did pass away. And it turns out he, he didn't, he left the house to his cousins, but he left my dad the whole contents of his house. So, oh, yeah. interesting. So, like, is there a lot of old couches and. Yeah, well, so, you know. Were there originals? Dad, I mean, what are old people? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, okay. So. They were like 21 when they got married, so, you know, they're young, they got a mortgage. Yeah. So when we were growing up, like, a lot of the furniture was John's. There was, like, a recliner, my mum dad's bed, the TV, oh, VCR, microwave. Tell you what, old people know how to That's recline. That's a bonanza. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, they, they have got some serious couches going on. I used to get in trouble for jumping on the uh, my grandfather's massage chair. <laughs> oh, like, you just, like, you get that recline and then you hit the pulse. <laughs> and I tell you what... That was living. <laughs> uh, well, that's pretty interesting. Oh, well, I mean, it's, it's very sweet. Was it nice to have that sort of stuff, that, I guess, his memories around? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I yeah, it was all sort of before really my time, but, you know, it was just what we grew up with. Well, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for that, Liz. No we appreciate worries. that. Thanks, guys. And shout out to old John if you're listening somewhere yeah. out there. It's a nice touching story that shows, yeah, it's the people you surround yourself with that can make the biggest impact a lot of the time. So um, be nice to everyone. Thank you very much, Liz. Thank you, everyone who sent us a message. Feel free to get in touch uh, with uh, any more inheritance stories, Alex. Oops. Well, Jim's are back. Matt O'Kine in Victoria. Um, last ones to catch up and not a moment too soon, my friend. Why? Are you getting beach board red? Well, a couple of reasons. Um, Well, firstly, my sister works at a gym. Great to be back actually doing something. (laughs) Hey, that's exciting. Do you get a little bit of a little family discount? Um, uh, No, I get the family spam because she (laughs) put my phone number in the the mailing list. Right. but no, no discount as of yet. Damn. I have to do it. It's a little bit far far away for mine because I got a gym in the building, which has been closed. Ooh, look at you! Number two, started trying to do the rehab on this elbow, right? <laughs> then lockdown again. 
um, this week. Another another pop incident in bed, getting in the nice oh, position. All right. So that's oh, no good. Okay. Well, getting, getting into positions <laughs> in bed, popping elbows, mate. I mean, hey, however you do it. Either way, I want it to stay in. So um, need that. But um, it's actually a worse reason than my sister being unemployed or me having a <laughs> elbow out of joint. Why? Well, okay, what do you need to go to the gym for, Alex Dyson? You're always pretty well, fit and healthy anyway. Well, yeah, I like to think so. But I was walking home the other day in my jeans, uh, the leg prisons, as Woods calls them, and um, <laughs> my hips are quite small, but my thighs are quite big. So I okay. got a bit of trouble purchasing jeans. The former program director of Triple J, Lockie Makara, once called me dad thighs <laughs> after uh, getting a peep of the pistons down there. Um, but, <laughs> but You do have quite muscular legs. I mean, they really are defined and chunky. Muscular, pale, hairy. That's what we're going for <laughs> up on the uh, upper echelons of the thigh there on Daiso's bod. But with the hip... It's quite small. It means most of my jeans hold up on the thighs. Right? Yeah, I know what you're saying. And so I'm constantly like sort of lifting Pulling them up. up as I'm going around. Yeah. So I was in the other day doing the first thing in the house for a while and um, had to find a belt. And I don't often use the belt. So I picked out this sort of old one. I think. Ex Do you wear undies? Yes, I wear underpants. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm just wondering because I'm not wearing them right now. It's <laughs> rare for me. <laughs> Um, going commando, as they say. I'm having the same trouble as you in terms of like the waist is not snug enough. So and you've I gone didn't plan. no undies, no belt. Yeah, and I didn't plan it for it to be like this, I can assure you. I just put my jeans on like quickly. You've got a hard denim seam with clenched metallic teeth right up next to him. Yeah, and it's, it's a risk. I'll tell you that much. It is, um, it, you could make a thriller out of every single bathroom stop just uh, because I'm making yeah. sure that everything's out of the way. Your penis is Sigourney Weaver and the zip is alien whispering <laughs> in, <laughs> in the ear. Just Your right up mini close. mini zip comes <laughs> out of the, uh, the bigger zip. Um, where was I? Well, I'm distracted by Matt's junk. Well, you got you went and got his belt. Got a belt, walking home, all fine, minding my own business, thinking about everything else. Something happens. It's a pop. My belt breaks. Oh, no. But I don't really know what's going on, so I'm sort of like walking around, looking around. Then I feel this <laughs> big hanging belt next to my legs <laughs> coming out. <laughs> so I quickly pulled, hold it up, and I'm just going to hold this belt all the way walk home and I'm just thinking, oh, no, this is this is a pants-splitting-esque moment. The thing that is killing me about my belt is seeing I'm on the last notch. I yeah. didn't start on the last notch. Yeah, no, you're getting towards the last notch, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, and, I, and I, it's worn <laughs> down. You know, the crease, the crease where the holes are. yeah. Where it's been in place, it's... It almost sounds like a Squid Game tournament and you're getting really close to the edge and <laughs> yeah. very soon you're going to be falling off. I'm going to be making my own, my own holes in the, <laughs> yeah. uh, in the belt. So, yeah. yeah. Look. Well, it was very close. If I was walking on a, on a red carpet, it would have absolutely been a wardrobe malfunction. 
It would have been described that way. Oh, for sure. you would have been on the cover of NW. Absolutely, not a shadow of a doubt. Wardrobe <laughs> malfunction. Whoopsie! Dyson's <laughs> belt buckle bursts on the all-day brekkie podcast awards red carpets. Um, so anyway, let us let me feel better about myself walking through the middle of Melbourne. Dyson, what would what would Daily Mail describe? Dyson's buxom booty. <laughs> Blemished through his uh, blue pantaloons. As he strolled through his Melbourne suburb holding a water bottle and sunglasses. (laughs) Exactly right. So, uh, look, hit us with your own wardrobe malfunctions. We'd love to do that. And, look, we're happy if you let us know what happened to your clothes, where it malfunctioned. We'll be happy to write a Daily Mail headline that would have described the moment had it been captured by the paparazzi. It's a little give and take, this talk back. You give us your wardrobe malfunction, we'll give you the headline. How about that? That sounds good. Matt and Alex all day breakfast. Order up. Just how you like it. Perfect. All day breakfast. Matt, what is it with attorney generals and making serious errors of judgment? Dead set, I barely know what an attorney general is. Yeah. You know what an attorney is? A lawyer, right? Yeah. You know what a general is? Some sort of army per- military person, yes? Yeah. That's what I do to figure out what an attorney general is, which is <laughs> a general is the boss of the attorneys, the highest law officer of the land is the Attorney General really? when, when it comes to the Commonwealth. But um, they're in, you know, state governments as well. There's Attorney Generals. You know, when you say that, it does seem a little fishy that our Attorney General got offered an anonymous million-dollar donation. Well, that's the thing. After um, fighting the ABC for defamation before um, dropping it, Christian Porter um, accepted a million dollars to help fund it from he doesn't know or is not saying... <laughs> And the Prime Minister's like, yeah, that is dodge. You should step down. So Christian Porter stepped down as Attorney General. Another Attorney General stepped down this week. Tim Smith, the shadow Attorney General, uh, so in opposition in Victoria, has stepped down. He's a Victorian shadow Attorney General though, right? He's of the state of Victoria, not the federal one. State of Victoria, no. Okay. Um, Stepped down, uh, releasing a statement saying, last night I made a serious error of judgment. After dinner with friends, I believed I was under the legal limit to drive home. This was not the case. I was breath tested and returned a positive reading. I have been fined under the Road Safety Act and my licence has been suspended for 12 months. I apologise to my constituents and blah, blah, blah. Today I tendered my resignation as the shadow cabinet to the leader of opposition, which he accepted. Um, what he didn't mention in that is that he blew 0.131 more than mm. two times the legal limit after dinner with friends. Oh, well then- more than I mean, when you're hitting... <laughs> when you're going up to the 1.3s and 1.4s, yeah. I mean, that's... That's always a high distinction. I, I, look, I don't know much about much, but I, and I'm not suggesting that he felt any certain way, but I reckon I would know. <laughs> at one, I reckon I would feel drunk at, point at one, three, point one. one three one, and I'm match fit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like exactly I'm right. In the, I'm in yeah. the prime of my life, and I think. <laughs> That I would probably have a bit of an idea that I I might be too drunk at point one three one. 
Well, we don't know. We don't know. We have no idea how much he had. We don't know how much. He could have had one drink and it affected him so much. We don't know. We don't right? know. So I'm not, and I'm not trying to suggest... That's getting to speculation. But anything, yeah. We do want to uh, get into something that is always apparent when these sort of falls from grace occur, and that is the preaching and uh, <laughs> pontificating prior to it on Twitter, where... There always inevitably in these situations is a tweet that comes back to haunt the person who has since made a... Do you know what? Quoted by Tim Smith, an error of judgment. Not just the tweets, but what really annoys me are these absolute flogs (laughs) out there who live so hypocritically. Yeah. Like I, I know people who will go, like when someone like a footballer gets busted for... I don't know, drinking or drugs, and they'll, and they'll be in the media going, oh, I can't believe that they did that. That's just terrible. How terrible. Mate, I know you do drugs. <laughs> I've seen it at a party. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I know that you do it. You do yeah. it. Yeah, it's the hypocritical nature of Absolute things. Absolute liars. Does do and that. there's so um, many of these people, especially, especially mm. in our sport, <laughs> in our media and in our politics. Um, so Tim, many of Tim them. Smith had a crack at... Dan Andrews in 2019 on Twitter. Dan Andrews tweeting, intoxication is a health issue, so we're treating it as one. We're repealing the offence of public drunkenness, which hits hardest for Victorians with nowhere private or safe to go, and bringing in a health-based model to get people the help they need. This will save lives. So Dan Andrews tweets that in 2019. Tim Smith, this guy who's now resigned, says, so if someone fails a breath test and blows well above a BAC of 0.05, is the government now arguing that's a health issue? This announcement by Labor is starting to sound very weird. Um, <laughs> little did he know, but two years later, he would be blowing a blood alcohol limit of well over 0.05 Ouch. and crashing through a fence. Um, <laughs> let's it's not funny. People die. People well, die. Well, it's fortunate that... No one was hurt in this particular incident. Exactly. And the fence took the brunt. Um, So we tried to dig up a few more, um, because it was Halloween over the weekend, a few more tweets that came back to haunt their their tweeters. Donald Trump Jr. got involved in 2016, where there was that whole um, hoo-ha about uh, deplorables. I think Hillary Clinton used the word deplorables for people who, potentially on the right side of politics labelled these group of human beings deplorable and um, a lot of people took umbrage with that, including Donald Trump Jr. who said, Dear Clintons, you know what's deplorable? Being impeached. Which at the time, very good slam towards Bill Clinton, who was impeached in office. Not as good when his father gets impeached twice. <laughs> <laughs> later on. you got to really go back and try and scrub that one out a little bit later. Uh, Ellen had one from 2009 saying, I made one of my employees cry like a baby on today's show. Honestly, it felt good. Oof. That's, that's, uh, didn't, didn't. Yeah, and then here it says, in 2020, it was exposed that the workplace culture of the Ellen show was toxic. Yeah, she just said that. <laughs> that <laughs> she exposed herself. Ago. What are you talking yeah. about? That was it. Um, here's a good one from Tom Randolph, who tweeted at the time. This came back to haunt Tom perhaps more ghoulishly than most, he says, well, Bitcoin has stabilised at almost exactly $14 a coin. I'm tired of waiting for a jump, so I'm taking the loss and I'm getting my cash back. Uh, Tom, getting out at $14 a coin for Tom getting off that rocket ship on the tarmac. 
Yeah, you know what? The <laughs> moon is overrated, and the, the view is better <laughs> from my basement. And that's the thing. He took the loss. He didn't even break even. He took a loss at that stage. Um, nowadays, instead of $14, uh, at the time of me saying this right now, one Bitcoin is now equivalent to 81500 yeah, Australian. Uh, there's, look, there's a couple each. more that I picked up from the poorly aged things uh, Twitter account as well. Um, Cincinnati Zoo tweeted, meet our handsome new silverback Harambe. Oh, <laughs> poor Harambe! Oh, that wasn't going to end well. Really... That, if only they knew. It and the then time. another one who I just, which I just thought R. was R. nice, Harambe. was the Daily Mail uh, writing an article in the year two thousand. The headline being: "Internet may just be a passing fad as millions give up on it." Um, <laughs> one of the paragraphs says: "Teenagers' use of the internet has declined. They are energized by what you can do on the net, but they've been through all that." and now realise that there is more to life in the real world and have gone back to it. <laughs> yes, they have, Daily Mail. <laughs> they sure have. We also have uh, Tony Abbott before Twitter. He was the Prime Minister who got rid of Australia's carbon tax. However, <laughs> just a few years prior to that, he also said this. I think that uh, the climate change science is far from settled. I also think that if you want to put a price on carbon, uh, why not just do it with a simple tax? Coming back to haunt him there, Tony potentially now with the Glasgow Summit as well. And, of course, the original tweet that aged badly, Matt O'Kine, from 1903, the president of Michigan Savings Bank advised Henry Ford's lawyer, Horace Rackham, not to invest in the Ford Motor Company, insisting the automobile is but a novelty, a fad, the horse is here to stay. <laughs> so let us know uh, statements that have come back to haunt you at matt.n.alex. <laughs> All right, on with the show. Oh. Well, Alex Dyson, our next guest is a th- author, um, activist, political commentator, very prominent figure um, online and in our media and Always tells it how it is, regardless of some of the backlash and consequences. And it is a pleasure to welcome them onto our show, uh, who's released their third book called How We Love. It is Clementine Ford, Notes on a Life. How's it going, Clementine? It is very good. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to see you again, Matt. It's been a while. Last time I saw you uh, was on the set of The Other Guy. That's um, right. So much fun. Well, thank you. I thought Matt was describing himself in the intro there, Clementine, telling it how it is. Say you're meeting your parents, friends or relatives and they haven't seen, you know, the incredible work that you've done over the years. How do you describe what you do to uh, to those people? Um, not one word of a lie. I always just say, oh, I'm a writer. That's mm, it. That's it. Someone like you who is very polarising, people seem to love you or hate you. Do you just get nervous walking into a room with people you don't know? Uh, I can do. I think it depends. I feel more nervous around some of the very committed activists who are doing incredible work. I feel more nervous around them. Like, I mean, look, my experience has been that some of the abuse that I get from men in particular, it's always just online. And it's so easy to laugh it off at this stage because it's just ridiculous. And I'll also say that some of the backlash that I get is warranted because I have, you know, made pretty huge mistakes over the years, as anyone would if you're kind of very front and centre. Of course, you're going to misjudge some things and sometimes you make a bad joke and you have to apologise for it. 
I um I because we just talked about tweets coming back to haunt people. Um, just uh, literally just in the last segment. But then you know you you had the controversy at the beginning of sort of last year, um, revolving around a, a tweet. That, I did. I'm not uh, afraid to talk about it. We can talk about it. What was it? I'm not. I'm not sure what Matt's referring to at this point. Well, I'll say. So, and I'll preface this by saying that I'm not offering any kind of qualification or, you know, I wrote this, but I was tweeting and it was, it was a much longer conversation about the pandemic and how the pandemic was having an economic impact on women in particular. And women all over the world were leaving their jobs and um, economists were forecasting that this would have devastating effects on women's economic potential for maybe tens and tens of years. Um, and I was really angry about this and culminated this tweet thread with a very indefensible tweet where I said, honestly, the coronavirus isn't killing men fast enough. I'm not going to defend that. That was, that was not an okay thing to say. I left Twitter because of it. And the reason I left Twitter wasn't because I was running away or I'd been caught out or whatever. I realized every time I loaded Twitter, I was primed to defend myself and I was primed to attack. And that is really unhealthy for the soul. That is an unhealthy way to um, have, you know, conversations. It's an, an unhealthy way to approach discourse. But for me, I realized this was the discourse that I'd been on the receiving end of so many like unfathomable tweets over the years mm. that I could sit there and say, I could think in my brain that writing that was not, like, that's just how people talk on this platform. Mm. Um, and obviously, that shouldn't be true. We shouldn't accept that level of discourse. And I was thinking about it the other day in terms of the way that, like, locker room chat is defended. And I'm not saying that what I'd written should be defended, but no one was going to come out and defend me in the way that they defend very colourful language being used amongst men in locker rooms or whatever mm, it might mm. be. And what I've realised is that that shouldn't be the discourse anywhere. It shouldn't be the discourse in locker rooms and it shouldn't be the discourse on Twitter. And as I was participating in that discourse, I was like, this is this is not good. Got to get out of it. Yeah. And it is the hypocritical nature, which we were talking about in the tweets earlier on, where if you don't like locker room chat, you should not do that. But if you defend locker room chat, those are the people who should be defending you for being able to say those sort of things, whereas they reveal themselves to be hypocritical when they um, when they say you should be ashamed of yourself and get off Twitter and that sort of thing. Mm. But uh, it's interesting in those moments. And I guess we, you know, being in the public eye, whether it's on Triple J or this, when things like that sort of blow up and everything's going on, is it difficult to take your mind out of you are at the centre of everything at this and this is everything that is going on. It must feel so all-encompassing in those moments. Yeah, and, I, and I'd like to also add on that by asking when you, when did you feel like, uh-oh, I've actually, I think I actually have overset the mark, if if that is how you feel? Yeah, well, initially I, I was very um, indignant about it, you know, and a part of that was because I was angry about the topic I'd been discussing. Another part, I was, it was probably just we all kind of have a tendency to dig our heels and be in and be a bit indignant. And it wasn't until I was in a group um, that I'm in on Facebook and I raised this tweet and there was a woman in it who, a black woman from America, and I only mention that she was black because obviously she comes from the perspective of living as a black woman in the world. And she said, I, I can see that you think you're trying to make a joke, but the problem is that in America, COVID is killing a lot of men and most of them are black and brown men. That was the moment where not only did I step back and go, what I've said is completely unacceptable, but I also felt a lot of shame about it because I don't ever want to be the kind of person that jokes about 
jokes about devastating things that are actually happening mm. to people. And when she said that, I was like, I felt, oh, I've really f***ed up here. I've, you know, I've, and I've joked about something that, that's happening to people and it's happening to, to people who have less power than I do. So that's not acceptable. Um, so that kind of made me, I, I didn't, you know, when I apologized, it did come from a really genuine place and I haven't, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't really mind so much the storm around it because I didn't feel like it was unfair at heart. I thought that it was it was correct to call me out for it. Well, I mean, the, the brilliant thing is that, you know, through these ups and downs, you are able to turn your life into stories and, and books. Uh, like you've done with this third book now, it's called uh, How We Love. And I'm really interested by this book because it's, I don't know, I guess, I guess it's a very personal look at, at a bit, bit of a memoir of your life, really. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, it doesn't have any, as I say in the introduction, it has no research. It's just me excavating my life. And there's no overt politics in it or any kind of, real social observation. But I think what it is, is it's a, it's an invitation to anyone who may be interested to see parts of me that the public perception of me has never kind of really cared about, I guess, or never thought existed. Um, because I'm, I might be provocative in some ways, but obviously like I'm a human being and I have complex layers too. And I think that it was important for me to show that, but also I, I, I guess I, I wanted to be understood, you know. I felt misunderstood mm. in some way. And as um, I get in what, old... In what way, Clementine? In what way were people misunderstanding you? <laughs> well, I feel like, I think it's, it's a reduction for people to just think of me as some angry feminist on the internet or some provocateur or, you know, someone who, is, who just does things for attention. All of these things that I've been accused of over the years... And this is, this is who I am beyond what you might think you know. Before you go, tell us your favourite moment from that book, your favourite story that you feel probably best, that might surprise people who even thought they knew you. Mm. The one that makes me cry the most, which is always the one that, you know, is always my favourite, is crying the most in something, is the last chapter about becoming a mother. And the book opens with me talking about the death of my own mother and then it finishes with me becoming a mother myself. And one of the things that, one of the greatest lessons I learned about love, which obviously the book is about so many different kinds of love and, all, and how, they, how we sometimes have them for fleeting moments and how we, have, how we can sometimes have them for our whole lives, but every bit of love that we have teaches us something. And it was becoming a mother. I realized that it was the most selfless love I would ever experience, but also it was the one it was the only kind of love that you seek to have where your intention with it must be to one day let it go, let your children leave you. And so you have this, you, you fall more and more in love with your child every day, as you know, and that's how you love them the best, is, is teaching them all that they need to one day walk away from you. Yeah. Well, Clementine Ford, uh, we unfortunately have to let you go after uh, keeping you here. You've been so generous with your time. Thank you so much for uh, chatting to us here on All Day Breakfast. And um, all the best with the rest of the uh, the book, How We Love, which comes out today. Um, so you can have a read of that one. It'll be incredible. Thank you very much, Clementine. Thanks, guys. 
All Day Breakfast. And there it is, another big episode of All Day Breakfast. Thank you very much for hanging out with us today on this little podcast. As always, just let us know if there's anything you've heard in the show that hits you right in the feels. We'll catch you soon. Bye-bye. That's it. The All Day Breakfast kitchen is closed. Got something to add to the show? Slide into our DMs at matt.and.alex. Listener.